Um, we've been uh, doing a little interstitial series before we're going to begin a big meta-series on the book of Matthew. And I'll explain what we mean by a meta-series later on, but uh, I'm excited about it. Um, this, uh, we're doing a, a little micro-interstitial series, CV on a mission from God with post-pandemic clarity. And this is the third talk we've done in that. An idea, not post-pandemic, meaning people are not impacted by COVID to this day. Post-pandemic means we've kind of shifted our lives to deal with the fact that this is around us. And we've kind of shifted our lives to know that we don't know, in a way. So we've kind of, uh, uncertainty has become normal in some ways. And I've seen this over and over in the world. I spent a significant time uh, in Israel back in the 90s. And I remember seeing how chill people were about bomb threats. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, we cordoned off Ben Yehuda Avenue because there's this backpack there. So we're bringing out the robot and the bomb squad to do this. So we're just going to chill and get a latte and not go down there for right now. I'm like, there might be a bomb. And everyone's like, settle down, Bebus. You know, it's like, we're used to this. And I do think uh, there's a lot of things people get used to. But some things we should never get used to is violence and suffering. And as I've been thinking about post-pandemic uh, clarity, today we're going to talk about storytelling and the importance of story. But I need to begin, I'd be remiss not to address the shooting in Buffalo. Because this is all about storytelling. What happened in Buffalo, mass shooting, I believe, by the way they measure these, it's number 198 for this year, mass shootings. And this person left a lengthy manifesto, and I did some digging to find it. I didn't tell you about Adrian because I didn't want to bum you out. And read it. And because I want to know what story formed the brain of this guy. And a lot of people want to just write off shooters as lunatics. I said, this guy is a lunatic in the same way that anyone who signs up and goes to war against someone they feel is their enemy in a way that this person believes a story that says a certain group of people threaten their life as enemy, and they've enlisted in this ideological army to fight this battle. And so essentially, this, this person serves a sleeper cell in our nation that has embraced a story that is one of, it is a story that is one of the best anti-gospel stories you can have. It, it, in fact, uh, spoilers on Matthew, it culminates in every tribe, tongue, and nation. Go ye therefore into all the world. This idea is it talks about this mega cross-cultural kingdom. And it has the cross-cultural crossing Jesus. And this guy's manifesto was about the danger of multiple cultures living together. So this guy subscribed to an anti-Christ gospel. But if you, and I don't recommend this, I'll just tell you, if you read his agenda, one, uh, he's been really formed and informed by our local website, the Daily Stormer, Andy Anglin's site, you know, he went from believing reptiles have replaced all the politicians to white supremacy, both crazy. Um, went to Andy's site, got radicalized there, he started watching certain news shows on cable television that talk about what's called the Great Replacement Theory. Somehow, it, it says that white is actually this rock-solid thing, and when people engage, have multiracial relationships or friendships, our culture gets erased, which 
is bunk. And there are certain people who are palatable to half of our nation that literally talk every talking point that this guy mentioned in his manifesto. He just took what people said as this is an enemy to our way of life. And that's been the justification for every war, is our American way of life is threatened by this person. So this person made the logical leap that telling this story and preserving my way of life requires violence. And he wrote a tactical manifesto. He had renderings of where to go, how to shoot. He planned out every bullet, every method. He wasn't in a fit of rage. He spent two years tactically doing this because he had marinated in a story. And it is, what is insane is there are so many people that claim to be evangelical Christians or other kinds of Christians in our country who listen and cheer on people that promulgate this story. Literally said, you know, half of the nation, highest rated program in the news program in the country, there's this person is repeating every talking point in this guy's manifesto. Storytelling changes the world. In this case, it changed the world to all these families that have lost loved ones. It changed the world for everyone that witnesses trauma. Once again, it's telling people of color in America is you are a target. Uh, and here's where some of my loved ones begin saying, oh, you're just hating on yourself because you're white. First of all, I'm not white. I'm Greek and European and a mix of a bunch of things. White didn't exist until 1619, but Greeks go back way back. Read the Bible. So I'm going to identify Greek. You're what? Viking Irish? You know, hey, if you want to, I just identify with the mix that I am. Whiteness, did, whiteness is so generic. Do you guys really want a barcode ethnicity? Seriously, folks. That only existed so you could oppress a group of people. I'm, I'm Greco-Norwegian, Italian, French, and I, that's why I can make fun of my French lineage, because I actually got a lot of it. But I don't, I don't tell people. I don't identify. I identify as Greek, even though it's fractional. In our Greek family, we all talk over each other. We never sit down for meals. We're hugging each other. We're sloppy. And we cry and yell and laugh in the same conversation. So whatever my genetics are, my culture, my tribe, tongue, and nation that's going to worship God is going to be my... You know, Greeks are unrefined Italians. All right? I'm just saying, that's me. But I'm not white. I'm, I'm, I'm not mixed. I'm a story, but people, so I'm not, people say, you're just ashamed in your self-loathing. I'm so, guys, if you want to know all about my self-loathing, I can give you a laundry list of the things God is working at in my life where I struggle with self-loathing. Not one of them has to do with pigmentation or cultural background. Not one of them. Now, God is trying to be working to deliver me from shame, but not that. So don't give me this, oh, we're teaching our kids to be ashamed. No, we're empowering people to change lives. And guess what? When you add the gospel to it, you got power. I am tired of, you know, people throwing around this word snowflake. First of all, snowflakes are cool because you can ski on them. But whatever, someone find this toxic botulistic tiny bacterium that's that is this, please, I'm being oppressed, I'm being oppressed. I said, dude, I ain't being oppressed. I own my car. I've got a house. Don't tell me I'm being oppressed. Don't give me that. Ugh, okay, I'm going to, I got a sermon to preach today. Better. But was, these guys told a story of white supremacy. This person marinated in the story. And they permanently changed the lives of everyone connected to 10 human beings. 
Lord Jesus Christ, together we raise our hands out and cry out to God, guys. We pray for the families and all those affected and those injured and those whose lives have been permanently altered by this evil satanic story. And we pray that your mercy would surround them. Your justice would surround them. God, I pray that this would be a wake-up call where your spirit can tell anyone who calls upon one syllable of your name, God, would realize this story is against the gospel. That we love the other and we all unite in the gospel. None of this. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen? So guys, here's the antidote. There's a story called the gospel that is the, I mean, it is the only story in human history that culminates in every tribe, tongue, and nation's best cultural distinctives being restored. There's going to be no dead languages in the kingdom of God because God loves the diversity of culture. There's going to be no lost cuisines except TV dinners and maybe... There's going to be no lost cuisines in the kingdom of God. We're not going to be some homogenous, boring group that's eating our protein pills like they do in the old 15th science fiction. We're going to restore it all. You think there's diversity in our restaurant selection in Columbus now? Man, the renewed heavens and new earth. First of all, we're going to be named after St. Columbo, not Christopher Columbus, or the detective Columbo. We're going to get a redeemed story behind our name. That's just my theory. But storytelling, guys, if we are going to engage this world with post-pandemic clarity, we all are invited from you to you to you to you to reinvest in this story. So we're going to spend some time on Matthew. You know, if you didn't read another book for the rest of your life and just cycled through Matthew, there would not be a day of your life that God would redeem and change your soul. The Bible isn't something to master and checkmark the boxes. It's a meal to keep coming back for more. And listen, just because you're having bread and eggs and milk and spices in the recipe doesn't mean there's not an infinite number of recipes that can be mixed from. All right? The Bible provides the kingdom ingredients to the kingdom and stories that all of you get to be chefs and cooks in this culinary masterpiece of the kingdom, which is described as a banquet, so I'm not taking too many liberties. So... There uh, is a term that gets thrown around. There's all these terms. Christian ministry, ministry to the poor, mercy ministry, evangelism, social justice. And a lot of people come up with terms to what it means to follow God in the world. Gospel preaching. But there was a group of people in the 30s that came up with a term. I've yet to find out how extensive this term was. But I love it and I want to reclaim it and I want to bring it back. It was called social adventuring. The idea of the Christian vocation of being a disciple of God was called social adventuring. That God is calling us an adventure to change the world. When Jesus said, hey, come follow me, he wasn't inviting people to boredom. Imagine 24 hours, no bite, fishing with nets. You're not even casting it out, having that zen river runs through it type fly fishing thing. You're just holding nets. Jesus calls people out of boredom. What could be more boredom than net fishing, which is unfair, and get dolphins in it and all that? What could be more boring than net fishing or tax collecting? I'm sorry. I mean, certain professions will not exist in eternity. Now, I'm all about paying taxes, 
I love schools, roads, toilets, everything. I don't love toilets, I'm grateful for them. So social venturing. Well, one thing we talked about is at the end of oppression, you have entrepreneurs, artists, and engineers all creating new things. When oppression, you know, when, when, when the white witch is defeated, the grass begins to grow through the snow. The snow melts, and it's spring. And what happens, I want to talk about entrepreneurship. A lot of people hear the term venture capitalist. It means, you know, a wealthy person that bets on a business so they could, if the business works out well, uh, they can own half of it and then eventually take it corporate and then everyone buys the stocks and diminish the ethical value of the company and then it gets boring. Unless you're Cliff Bars and you stay family owned or whatever. I'm sorry, it's a tangent. But the idea, I want to think of adventure capitalist. Or, and when I think of capital, I'm talking social capital. I'm not talking money. Listen, I will say to you, the most socially gifted person in this room, if I'm not mistaken, probably has the lowest income. The person in this room who has the most social capital, I think might have one of them, has the most social capital and might have the lowest income. So I want to talk about being social capitalists, an adventure capitalist of the social capital sort, which is come to me who are weak and burdened, I will give you rest, then send you out, and you will learn to rest and adventure, right? So this social adventuring is what I, I want to really think about when we look at Matthew. And storytelling is at the heart of social adventuring. You cannot divorce the scriptures from the adventure. People have tried... And it's interesting, uh, I have a lot of conversation with my daughter. You know, she's graduating in a couple weeks, University of Chicago, economics. Yeah, I'm proud of that. But as she's been interacting, you know, economics has moved from more of a theoretical left versus right discipline to an empirical science, a data-driven discipline. And what they're finding is all the economic programs that seem to work really align with Bible stories. And it's funny how we had to invent, it wasn't until computers and processing power and softwares evolved to a certain level to find out, let's just do some jubilee here. You really want to help people out? And there's a lot of controversial ideas. Well, that's not fair. I said, neither is Jesus, praise God. Not fair seems to end poverty a lot. In fact, I'll just give you an example. I know two families I was thinking of just this morning who got unencumbered financial gifts that were tied to no bureaucratic element and it disrupted what would have been a never-ending cycle of poverty and it was done because people felt led by the Holy Spirit in prayer to do it. We, uh, uh, many of you are connected to one or two families that would have been in a never-ending cycle of poverty if someone did read the Bible, take it seriously, say, Holy Spirit, what do I do? God said, by the way, write the check here. Boom. Cycle broken. And now, I've got a daughter who can do math. I don't do math. I'm sorry. One, two buck on my shoe. That's about as far as I get. Our strength is our story. So we're going to bring our readers up. We've got four rapid-fire readers. Come up here. Read this thing. We're going to go through it. They want to pray for you. I need the readers up quick, though, because I talk too much. But we got this. We're going to be all right, as my buddy Kendrick says. All right, this is uh, 2 Timothy 
So then, my child, you must be strong in the grace which is in King Jesus. You heard the teaching I gave in public. Pass it on to faithful people who will be capable of instructing others as well. Take your share of suffering as one of King Jesus' good soldiers. No one who serves in the army gets embroiled in civilian activities since they want to please the officer who enlisted them. If you take part in athletic events, you don't win the crown unless you compete according to the rules. The farmer who does the work deserves the first share of the crops. Think about what I say. The Lord will give you understanding in everything. This is 2 Timothy 8 through 10. Remember Jesus the King, risen from the dead, from the seed of David, according to my gospel for which I suffer like a criminal, even being chained up. But God's word is not tied up. That's why I put up with everything for the sake of God's chosen ones, so that they too may obtain with glory the la that lasts forever the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. Hooray. Okay, I mean from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. You can rely on saying, you can rely on this saying, if we die with him, we shall live with him. If we endure endure patiently, we shall reign with him. If you if we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny his own self. Second Timothy two fourteen through seventeen. Remind them about these things and warn them in God's presence, not to quarrel about words. This doesn't do us any good. Instead, it threatens to ruin people who listen to it. Do your very best to present yourself before God as one who has passed the test, a worker who has no need to be ashamed who can carve out a straight path for the word of truth. Avoid pointless and empty chatter that will push people further and further towards ungodliness, and their talk will spread like cancer. All right. So, storytelling is the heart of social adventuring, a.k.a. Gospel Jesus is Risen, working. Storytelling, the, storytelling is also at the center of destruction of life. Guys, we, I, I just want to tell you, you will burn out, you will fail, you'll miss the boat, or you won't be able to have joy in the midst of digging in the trenches of darkness if you don't marinate in the story of Jesus. Eat that story. Eucharistize that story till you sweat the story. And I'm saying, guys, I want to encourage you. But download the Bible app. Get an audio thing. Switch it out. Find a way. Listen to the book of Matthew. It was meant to be read. And when you listen to it, if you miss a part, if you zone out, that's okay. I guarantee when Matthew was being read at the early church gatherings, half the people fell asleep. But because they only had one scroll, they kept rereading it. And eventually they caught it. The worst thing you can do is feel bad about your cognitive abilities and your attention spans when reading the Bible. Be like a kid who just takes whatever they can get and whatever happens, happens. Hold it loosely. Guys, it's okay to suck at reading the Bible. Just read it and suck at it. Because in God, the Holy Spirit partners, and together we're a community. We'll be talking more how we're going to partner one another to help each other learn this story. 
Because every one of you has one gifting that brings the story to deeper relevance to someone else. Every one of you, no matter what. In fact, some of the most powerful gospel people I know can't read. That's another story. So send storytellers, said, pass it on to faithful people. Basically saying, don't be the hero, heroic storyteller. Don't be a celebrity. Don't be the influencer. Raise up a tribe where everyone has influence in telling stories. But show them how to do it. Because if you tell the story wrong, what you get is Christians who think it's okay to be white supremacists. All right? If you don't tell the story, and let me tell you, the story is if it's not read, if you don't read Jesus' teachings in a tone of voice that make kids want to be around him, you're reading it wrong. You can take a teaching of Jesus, and if you do it the wrong tone of voice, it's not going to be Jesus' teaching. I'm just telling you, you got to do some method acting here. Read the whole book and then retroactively figure out why, how would an adulterer commit the crime of trespassing to go into someone's house that wants her dead just to be with Jesus and read in that tone. So storytellers spread strength. And storytelling is a type of prayer catalyzing. When we tell the story, God speaks to us through the story. So storytelling, when it's gospel storytelling, is a conversation because the Holy Spirit will often talk over the person reading. The Holy Spirit often has a commentary track playing. Have you ever had a rant? I've had the most random things. I hear the Bible thing. I remember, oh, call this person. They, they're hurting. Or reach out to this person. Or you forgot to do this, Jeff. And I think that's the Holy Spirit interacting with hearing the story. God talks. Um, storytellers suffer. In the passage said, you will suffer. Tell a story. This isn't like how to have your best life now. Listen, when you challenge people who profit off of oppression, you know what? When you have... A, a, a woman who is being lied to and beaten down by their husband over and over and, and abused either emotionally or physically or through control. And then a co-worker tells that woman, no, you are a child of the king. You are precious. You don't deserve this behavior. You know, you, you are in danger and Jesus loves your life so much. We're going to help you move out and give you money to go get some counseling and get some trauma care for what you've been through. Guess what? There's one man that's going to be angry at that. That's an example of living and telling a story. Your life is precious to Jesus. When you tell a story that protects the most vulnerable, you expose sexual abuse in powerful organizations and people lose their jobs. And how can you do that? The way you believe in grace? You're going to piss people off if you tell the Jesus story and live it out. You will, because people will lose power by the very telling of the story. So, storytellers will suffer. Storytellers gamify growth. This is my favorite. Really quickly, um, Paul says, hey, you know, it's like a race. You're running a race, or you're playing volleyball, or whatever. Now, I personally hate sports, but I like games. And sports are a kind of game. So, I think gamify growth in a good way, not in a, like, I'm not talking about Call of Duty gaming, all right? I'm talking about like this idea that there is a fun in a winsomeness that can accompany spiritual formation. This is not eat raw granola without any honey or eat your Quaker roast because Wilford Grimley said so. Yeah, stay over here, Jeff. This is have winsome fun. Have fun like a kid hearing a story and interrupting it because it makes him think of something. That kind of a game. So, for instance, I 
am somewhere on some spectrum that people talk about a lot now. And part of my diagnosis from early age was I'm always going to have low muscle tone. Because my brain doesn't tell me to clench certain muscles that people always clench. So I walk like I have a pogo stick inserted up something down there. It's just part of not being neurotypical. But, and I've never been able to strengthen my abs. You know, I've been skinny before and I've, I've oscillated, but I found a game on the phone, Ab Blaster. And it, I work it with my Spanish indie pop playlist and it is such a fun game. And I've been doing this. Um, Adrian and I have decided to be playful about spiritual discipline. We have these things called lads. You ever talk about lads? It's lame butt devotions. Lame butt devotions. And we say, you know, whatever's worth doing is worth doing poorly. What we do, I've told you about this, but I'm telling you about this. In the morning, we read a scripture. We've been doing John lately. Usually we can only get through a few verses because we haven't had our coffee take today. Before that, we say, Lord, be present in the reading of your word. We read the word. And both Adrian and I say, well, did you feel anything? Did God point anything out? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. But we don't try. We just let it be. And after that, I say, Adrian, what do you have before you today? She goes, da 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 And I say, uh, she goes, what do you have before you? We pray for each other. And we pray for whatever God brought up. It usually takes about six minutes. And we muddle. Sometimes we do this near comatose. It's never been, wow! But now, it's the first time I've ever done a consistent discipline for three years of my life. Because I decided to just embrace the pathetic. Now, I'm not saying it's lame. I think it's awesome, globally, life-changing devotions. But I say this because I don't want to tell you, like, to have some machismo. I want to say just enter into the kids' zone. Enter into the playland here. And we've been doing this, and it's been forming our life. Um, I have, we also have lags. It's called lame butt goals. And we just set, you know, the goal to forming a habit is don't say I'm going to do 20 push-ups every day. Say I'm going to do one push-up tomorrow. People say, well, that's easy. I say, well, I haven't done a push-up in a month or a year or 10 years. So that's actually a major goal. And so I like fractional goals because guess what? God is not the, God, the only rushing God do is rushing after you to hug you and welcome you back into the fold. Spiritual transformation is not fast. God running after you because he loves you no matter what is the only fast thing I see. So storytellers stay centered. The center, we have this doctrinal mic drop. Remember, Jesus is the king, risen from the dead, from the seed of David. If you take the resurrection away, I swear to you, it never lasts. This empowerment that comes from the story, it goes from being uh, life-changing, soul-infusing, life-empowering, cosmic-disrupting story to a set of shoulds. A set of good ideas. You know what good ideas are? They're just more things to feel guilty about. How has that worked? But there is a Holy Spirit. There, and that is through the resurrection of Christ. And we'll be talking a lot about that. Um, there's this weird part where it says, did you guys notice this? I mean, who noticed this? It says, if we deny him, he will deny us. Who went, ouch. This is why I always love reading things in context. I don't do Bible verses typically. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny his own self. I said, oh, Bible contradiction. The author must not know what they were doing. Now, if you read these together, you know how you interpret that verse in context? Is God is not coercive. 
You don't, we are not hand puppets that God is just another abusive spouse that can tell us what to do. God is invitational. He doesn't predestine when it says, I predestine you to hell. You to heaven. He predestines to invite everyone and, not, and people have an option of what they're going to do with that invitation because in his nature, he's an inviting God. If you reduce this now to break equation, you create a theological tradition that justifies killing people in other denominations. And that's boring, awful, and wretched. And listen, Protestants and Catholics, everyone have been equally guilty on formalizing the story. In our story, God is faithful but non-coercive because he is a relational God. And finally, um, I'm going to skip past one of these. Um, I want to give you a King James Version of one of the verses we did here. It says, study to show thyself approved is a workman who needs not be ashamed. Now, if you're like me when I hear that, it says, if I study hard enough, I don't have to be ashamed when I stand before God, who's looking down at me like, so did you get your chores done, Jeff? Study to show thyself as a workman who needs not be ashamed. Here's the deal. If you study the Jesus story, it crowds out shame. You're not earning brownie points and notches in the belt. The more you fill the story, the less room for self-loathing. Because if at any level you can cognitively experience that God loves me, guess whose opinion doesn't matter? Anyone else's. Listen. So study yourself stuff and says, marinate in this story because shame will be kicked to the curb. But I, why is my brain default to reading this? Like some meritorious, I need to unlock achievement for God to love me. That's not how you gamify your faith. You have fun with your faith. You don't say I have to achieve, the, unlock this achievement so I can be a good Christian. Guess what? You start having one. This is not, that, that you start having one. And it's not a spoiler because the winning is when the fun happens. So, guys, I want to stand. Listen. Guys, stand. We have a distortion field around us where we engage the story and the shame voice talks over the Jesus voice. That's why not only do you need the story and the faith and the power of Christ, but you need an encounter with God. And I'm looking here. I'm looking at faces here that I know you default to shame. And I believe God's Holy Spirit is here today, not to wham, bam, it's done, but the Holy Spirit has more. Once I said, everything happens pretty slowly in Jesus except him running after you. And we're going to ask our prayer folks to I want, here's power in confession. Saying, listen, I barely ever pick up the Bible because the distortion field obliterates the love for me. Will you please pray for me that God opens my eyes? We have people that are going to pray for you. Some of them might say, and by the way, pray for me too. So, so we're going to, in ministry time, pray that God will gently bring us along in a storytelling journey. So the influence us dwellers in the valleys and the trenches and the ditches have, because we're the foot washers and the enemy lovers, can totally subsume the power of the haters and grasp for security and power right holy spirit i ask you to come lord i ask you to speak truth and grace to us i ask as we celebrate the cup as we celebrate 
This dinner, right after you washed the disciples' feet, Jesus, your dinner where you took Passover and said, instead of sending one nation free from Egypt, we're going to set humankind free from the devil. We're going to set humankind free from condemnation. I'm going to set, I'm going to set humankind free from sin, and humankind are going to be my best friends. And every person's invited to be a part of that. So when we take the bread and the cup, the last meal, we're saying, Jesus, this is your body, this is your blood, meaning, God, recombinate our DNA with the DNA of the kingdom. So, Lord Jesus, I pray your presence over these elements, because some of them are hard to open. Oh, arthritis. I think I got it, Kelly, but, oh, there we go. Holy Spirit, come. Let's take this together, my friends. Bottoms up. Come, Lord Jesus. God is present, friends. Let's worship. Guys, get prayer. Anything, any reason, any excuse you find, get prayer today. We need more people to line the sides up, though, so. Mike.